2: Love Talk Radio. The headlights are a-cutting the fog on a midnight highway. And 18 wheels are a-driving through the dawn. There's a blue ridge mountain sunrise filling the mirrors. And the ashtray's full The coffee's almost gone And the trucker's heading west To Colorado Passing the miles With his friends on the CB code And tonight the truck stops Somewhere out in nowhere And tomorrow wind and the open road, and I believe he's gonna drive that rig to glory, and I believe I feel the freedom
3: in his story,
2: riding that diesel one, chasing that long white line, dropping that load on time, and he's going home.
4: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Interactive Internet. I'm your host, Pete Carr, and we will be live right now uh, for the next hour and a half. I know it's been a long time since I've had a show on here. Uh, we used to have a show every Sunday at 4 o'clock now, 6 uh, Eastern. And about a year ago, Block Talk Radio... Uh, Removed the ability for us to be able to schedule shows in advance. Uh, So I would have to schedule every Sunday show, uh, basically, went, uh, you know, sometime during the week. And it was just way too much for me. I just couldn't do it. Uh, We couldn't get it together. So I let the shows go for a while. We've had a couple of shows over the past year, but not very many, and now I am looking at uh, at getting the shows back on, hopefully on Sunday afternoons. Uh, Sunday is a premium time, but then I'm a premium host here at Blog Talk Radio. I've actually been on Blog Talk Radio almost 10 years now, and I was one of the first Blog Talk Radio hosts when uh, when. when BTR first started, I was one of the hosts. I was one of the first ones. Anyway, that's what we've got. We're back on the air. We are live right now. And, uh, you know, in 2010, Antoinette and I ran for governor and lieutenant governor of Colorado. And You remember that. Uh, we had a lot of shows then. We had uh, Ant's last show uh, the day before she passed away. And... Uh, in 2010 John, John Hickenlooper was uh, inaugurated uh, he won the election and he has been the governor for the last uh, seven and uh, seven years. John Hickenlooper of Colorado is term limited to two terms. We have a a new governor's race coming up in November of 2018 and although I still Maintained the car for gov co on Twitter. I have not made up my mind yet as to what I'm going to do in November of 2018. But the race is on, we've already got probably somewhere around 15 or 20 potential candidates for governor that have already signed up, they've registered with the Colorado Secretary of State's office. Um, one guy by the name of Johnson, I think, has already collected over a million dollars in donations to, uh, for his contributions to his uh, campaign. And I believe he's a Democrat. The big name on the Democrat side right now in Colorado, as far as, potential, as, far as candidates go, is Jared Polis. He is a United States congressman from Boulder, Colorado. He's a very left-wing-leaning person. Uh, From what I have seen, even the Democrats don't want him in there. But he signed up. He's going to be running in the primary next spring for uh, Colorado governor. And, of course, the winner of the Primaries will go on to the general election in November of next year. I'm basically sitting back at this point and waiting to see what happens. Right now, I'm not concerned about who all is running, except maybe Jared Polis. Outside of that, it's anybody's horse race, and it'll all be solved when the primary is over next spring, and I think that's in March or April of next year. Until then, there's going to be a lot of candidates, a lot of talk, and I don't know if I want to get mixed up in that right now or not. I'm leaning towards going ahead and signing up. I've, uh, I've attracted some attention, at least through Twitter so far. Uh, I do have a Facebook page and we have the uh, the ability to do our uh, our radio show here, too. So that's where we stand right now, folks. But I'm talking about the issues already. Regardless of whether I run or not, I'm still going to talk about the issues because I've said a number of times, and I said it in 2010, the possibility of actually winning the election is slim to none, and I know that. I'm a, I'm a realistic individual. My, uh, my, my possibility of winning is practically zero. So instead of sitting here and telling you what I think you want to hear to get me elected, I can sit here and tell you what I think. And sometimes that's a a totally different thing. And you know it following politicians. They all do the same thing. They promise you everything. And when you elect them, I've always said about the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party is very easy to understand. And I've noticed lately in the African-American community, a lot of people are coming down hard on the Democratic Party. And I explained to them, this is very simple to understand. The Democratic Party will promise you a brighter tomorrow for your vote today. The problem is, tomorrow never comes. And people have seen this. We've seen this for the last 50, 60 years with the Democratic Party. You know... Uh, the big deal right now is this is the 50th anniversary of the Detroit riot. Some people have decided to call it the Detroit Rebellion. Now, I was in Germany. I was in high school in 1967. Off and on, between 1951 and 68, I lived overseas as a military brat. Whenever we came back to the States, we always stayed in Detroit. That's where my mother's family was from and that's where we stayed. And I consider Detroit my adopted hometown. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is my dad's hometown. However, we didn't live there. We we were there for about five or six months and then after that we were gone. We lived in Chicago, we lived in Detroit, we lived overseas, we went to Hungary, we went to Germany. Uh, we came back to Germany in 58, 59. Went to Fort Dix, New Jersey for two years. Went to uh, Fort Myers, Virginia, when my dad was uh, playing on the White House football team for two years. And uh, then we went to Port uh, Bonham, New Jersey, Ethiopia, for almost a year, back to Germany, in the mid-60s, and in 1967, I was a sophomore in high school in Germany and was definitely paying attention to what was going on in Detroit at that time. Uh, A a little side note, folks. Most of us that grew up as military brats could never understand what the problem was between blacks and whites in this country. When I was born in 1951, the military community. It had been fully integrated in 1948-49 by President Truman. So my earliest recollections were of black friends and white friends. We didn't think anything of it. You know, I've got a picture and I've got to find it. It's a picture of a Little League team from Fort Muppet, New Jersey, and I'm in the picture and it's about I would say 1964 65. And there's a couple of black kids on our cave and there's a black coach there and everything. And I, I want to take that picture and show it to my friends and ask them, what year do you think this was, was taken? I want to see what they're going to say. I wonder if they could, in their wildest imagination, dream that that picture of a little league team, black and white, players, black and white coaches in 1964. Three years before the riots. I want to see if they guess, guess the, the year of that picture. Anyway, anybody that's listening today is exempt. You're not allowed to play the game because I already told you about it. But that's the way I grew up. My very earliest recollections were of, of having friends. You know, we lived in the same government quarter built to the same school. We went to the same commissary at PX. We went to the same churches. We, we lived above and below and next door to each other. And nobody ever thought of it. And I'll tell you, folks, the way you raise a child their first understanding of life, that's what's going to hold them through for the rest of their lives. That's the foundation you're going to build on. And my earliest recollections came to a head in 1967 when I'm sitting in Germany and watching German television, watching Detroit riots on German TV. And and I knew what was going on. And I had no idea why people were rioting. I had no idea that there were black and white neighborhoods in Detroit. And even the times that we lived in Detroit, the 50s and 60s, yeah, we lived in predominantly white neighborhoods. Um, Over on the east side of Detroit, where I-94 is now, if you go over there, you'll see Harper Avenue and Cadieux. The corner of Harper and Cadieux—that was my corner. Uh, Saint Matthew's Church, right there off of I-94 and Harper. I went—I went to Saint Matthew's for a year and a half. Went to the Catholic school there. It's a the military brat. People come and go all the time, and you'll—you'll you'll meet a friend. You'll have a good friend, and the next thing you know. Either your dad's getting transferred or their dad's getting transferred. So people were always coming in and out of my life, but I never thought about it that year and a half. Of course, I think I was probably ten, eleven 11 years old, 12 years old, something like that. Anyway, this is the 50th anniversary of the Detroit riot. I do have a copy of... The MC5, Motor City's Burning. Um, if you want to hear it, I'll play it at the end of the show. The MC5 was a rock and roll band from Detroit. Uh, pretty controversial in their day. They were affiliated with was an organization started by Johnson, John Lenny Sinclair in Ann Arbor in the, in the mid-60s. Anyway, it's a hardcore rock and roll song. It's called Motor City's Burning. I'll play it at the end of the show. So we're going to sign off at the end of the show. I'll do a regular sign-off. I will play my regular closing theme song, and then I will introduce the MC5. So if you don't want to hear hardcore rock and roll, when I close the show out, go ahead and and, uh, log out. Otherwise, I'm going to play the MC5 in honor of uh, the 50th anniversary of the Detroit riots. Anyway, that's where we're at, folks. We have just killed 15 minutes of your time. And uh, talking about the Colorado governor's race, we're we're going to be bringing up some issues. A friend of mine, uh, about a month ago, said that if I want, if, if I want to really get some notoriety and possibly change the tone of the governor's race, what I need to do is I need to talk about the road situation not only in Denver but in all of Colorado. And we're going to do that. We will uh, that's why I scheduled an hour and a half today. we're going to go ahead and talk about roads. But first, and I follow a couple of people on Twitter that are real interesting. They are into the DIY movement, the do-it-yourself movement. Um, these are people that, a couple years ago, took over a bunch of old warehouses up on Bright Boulevard, Denver, on North Bright. They, they converted them basically into artist spaces, and at the same time, These folks didn't have a place to live. They couldn't afford a studio and an apartment, so they basically moved into their warehouse. Uh, According to the Denver Fire Code, that was illegal. According to the building code, that was illegal. Uh, They were not to be used as residential properties. They were strictly business, warehousing. Anyway... We had the ghost ship fire out in Oakland, California last year. And that was a DIY space in Oakland. A number of people were killed in that. Uh, I believe one or two were were from the Denver area or were known uh, to the Denver DIY folks, one or the other. Anyway, in the aftermath of the ghost ship fire, DIY spaces around the country... Were shut down they, they went right up to the top of everybody's radar and the knee jerk reaction including in Denver was to go in and shut these places down they, they shut down uh, rhinocer- rhinocopolis and glob in Denver and basically threw these folks out on the street well anyway Things have calmed down, things are changing, and the Denver City Council is working on getting a conditional permit where people can move back into these spaces and be able to live there, as long as the building owners uh, state in writing that they are going to bring these buildings up to code and be able to accommodate people uh, living there accommodate residency, and that's a good deal. In the meantime, something else has happened in Colorado that has changed the real estate landscape. We legalized marijuana for recreational use. When we did that, we became the first of two states, Colorado and Oregon, that, I believe it was Oregon, maybe it's Washington State. One of them one of them northwest, might have been Washington State. Uh, But we legalized recreational marijuana, and that brought a flood of people. Everybody wanted to come to Denver and get their Rocky Mountain High. Well, housing prices have never been really that great and affordable in Colorado to begin with. And with the influx of all of these people, housing prices went through the roof. We created an entire new industry in this country when we legalized marijuana. There's a lot of people that are coming, that have come to Colorado, they're working in the grow industry, they're working in the retail side of of marijuana. It's an entire industry that's been created basically from smoke, uh, literally from smoke. And Developers saw this coming in, and they started putting together um, high-rise condominiums. You know all the amenities and everything else, including a high-dollar rental fee or a mortgage. The regular folks in Denver can't afford this.
1: Uh,
4: I lived out at Green Valley Ranch for a while when uh, when Aunt and I first came back to Denver. We shared a house with a friend of mine, and he said at the time that he was thinking about selling, and that was in 2010. He was thinking about selling, and he thought he could get about 135000 for his house. Nice home in Green Valley Ranch. That house today is worth over $250,000 because of the, the increase in housing costs in Colorado, and especially in the Denver, Metro area. Average people can't afford this anymore. They are being pushed out of their homes in order to supply housing for the higher class. That's, that's exactly what's happening. And the people that are being forced out have nowhere to go. They are becoming homeless. It's, it's a process called gentrification. And it's happening all over the country not just in Denver. Denver. it's because of the marijuana legislation, the legalization, and it's also because of the oil and gas. We have a lot of fracking going on in Colorado. Colorado has always been an energy-producing state. That's bringing people in that can afford a high-dollar rent every month. And the average person, you know, the work of day man or woman, that's trying to support their family. They're being pushed out of their home so that they can be torn down and put up these luxury companies. That's what's going on. The DIY people went up on Bright boulevard. They created Rhino. R-I-N-O, River North. They created the Rhino Arts District. And A lot of other entrepreneurs saw this going on and they wanted to be a part of the action too. Now we have craft breweries and all of that moving up into the Rhino area and they are forcing the rent to go higher and higher to where the DIY people who started the whole thing, they can't afford it now. It's still called the Rhino Art District but You may as well call it the Brino Gentrification District because that's what's going on. People are being forced out. Forced out of their businesses. They're being forced out of their homes. They are being pushed out onto the street. And the big solution right now, like I said, they want to uh, offer conditional permits. One of the solutions. The other solution... Is that people are putting tiny houses in the Rhino area? A tiny house, you know, now folks, I live and work in an 18 wheeler. I drive the truck and I live in this truck. The tiny houses that I have seen are not much more than what I have in this truck. That's how small they are. I just tweeted a thing about them a couple of days ago. You can look at them. And I looked at those pictures and I thought, you know what? I've seen this before. I remember seeing pictures, the 1870s, 1880s, of slave plantations with little box houses all in a row. And that's where the slaves lived. These tiny houses reminded me of slaves' borders in South Carolina. That's what they look like to me. We are warehousing people. We're not dealing with the problem. The problem is people cannot afford a regular home or even a condo or an apartment. They can't afford it. They have no other, no other choice but the backseat of a Nissan, or move into one of these little tiny houses. We're not solving any problems, folks. Yes, we are getting them, we're getting them, you know, under a roof. But damn it, I live in this truck. I'm under a roof. Now, I don't have, uh, you know, washroom facilities or shower or kitchen or anything in here. It's just, it's either drive or sleep. But I'm thinking, why are we putting people in the in the shelters that are not much bigger than what I have, tiny homes that were put up over on uh, along Bright Boulevard there do not have bathroom facility. They have a communal bathhouse uh, shower toilet facility, but they don't have their own toilets in these shelters in these tiny homes. They have to go out in the weather, which is what I do. I have to go out in the weather to go in the truck stop and get a shower. These people are living in there, and they have to go in the weather, you know. and it's hot, miserable right now. It's going to be wintertime. It's going to be cold and miserable. And these people are having to truck out outside to go use the facilities. We are treating them the way I look at it. Anyway, I'm giving you almost a half hour of my time and uh we do have a caller on the line here from seven two zero that is a
1: uh,
4: that's a Colorado number folks. I have a seven two zero phone number for my own self. there's a seven two zero phone number uh caller I know you've been hanging in there. And you're muted right now. If you unmute yourself, we can hear you. Okay, I'm unmuted. There you are. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, I'm doing real good. Um, at the moment, I am trekking back to Denver, just, just like the uh, just like my theme song says. I am head west to Colorado. Yay. Yeah, well, I'm over in Booneville, Missouri, where it is extremely hot. It's humid. Uh, temperature's in the 90s, and the heat index is over. I well, I'm thankful I'm here in Colorado. I am. It's hot here, but it's nothing like that. Yeah. Okay, well... Yeah. Um, you are a first-time caller to the show. You've never heard my show before. No. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, well, it kind of starts out the same. I have, I have a, a theme song that, I've, that I modified from the 1980s, and it just fits me perfectly. It's a trucking song about Hedgewood, Colorado. And then I'll do uh, a couple, 10, 15 minutes, or 20 minutes of a monologue, uh, if I get a call around the air, then I will uh, talk to the caller. So that's where we stand right now. And um, what uh, what are your thoughts about what I have said? Either, um, you know, I talked a few minutes about Detroit, but I know you're you're in Colorado. Where are you at, Colorado? Denver. Okay, okay, so you're in the Denver area. Um, Yeah, I know 720 area code, that's a Denver area. Anyway, um, what do you think about this housing situation, what I talked about? And um, just kind of take it from there, go from there. Well, I've been um, reading and looking at a lot of pictures of these tiny homes for a long time. And at first, you know, kind of hit my funny bone. I thought, you've got to be kidding. And then I thought, well, you know what? They would be okay, you know, if it worked. But it is not okay, I don't think, to take these poor people and shove them in there. And I agree with what you said about, <laughs> it's like they're living in shacks. They don't have their own bathroom don't have their own, you know, shower, toilet. That's wrong. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of gentrification because there is a huge price to pay. You're throwing more people out onto the street. What are they supposed to do? Where are they supposed to go? into these little tiny yeah. homes, and that's not permanent. Yeah, these are these are temporary, and like I said, if you follow, if you follow me on Twitter, I tweeted about them uh, a little over a week ago or so. And uh, I'll tell you another thing I'm going to do. After the show, I'm going to see if I can find in Google Images, one, is, one or two of the old pictures of the old slave borders during the, during the plantation days to see if I can find something to match up with that. Uh, I'll put that up on Twitter, too. Uh, by the way, folks, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you can. Uh, you can do a search for Peter, Peter Carr, P-A-R-R, or Carr for number four GB Car card for of C-O. and uh, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter that's my that, that, that right now is my number one way of getting out views uh, but I' I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for some pictures there um, the ones that we were that we're talking about here the, the tiny notes we're talking about they are temporary and they're only going to be there for six months. And then they're going to have to move them. So not only are you putting people into little tiny shacks, you're also telling them you have six months or less to live here and then we got to figure out something else. You may as well, you know, folks, you may as well go ahead and move into the back seat of your viewing for what good it's going to do you. Anyway, well, um, it it does put a roof over their head. You know, and when the weather is bad, I'm thankful for that. But to me, the whole idea of tiny homes was a tiny home which is self contained. These aren't, it's demeaning. You know, and you know, how many people have Buicks to move into? They're lucky if they have a beat up old Honda or, you know, a Ford or whatever, which are very big. I don't know. It's a sad situation. Well, they're the, the tiny homes right now. Um, and, you know, when I first learned of this, I took a look at the location where they were talking about. Because about a week before, there was another news article, I think, in uh, uh, the Denver Post. And it was talking about a new gentrified development that was going up only a couple of blocks away from these tiny houses are. You know, talk about a night nice day difference. Within, within a couple of blocks of each other, you're going to have this gentrified crowd, and you're going to have homeless people. And at some point, these two are going to start mixing. And I think that the homeless people are going to be losers on this. i agree with that. it, It still does not address the core issue which is affordable housing in Denver. And by the same token, you know, folks when I talk about Denver, I'm talking about all of Colorado. Um, I just heard from a lady down at Pueblo that uh, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there's something about Habitat for Humanity. Um, I don't know if uh, I don't know what their what their situation is down there. But apparently nobody's nobody is getting into the Habitat for Humanity homes, and she said that the state-funded housing was full. So there's no rec- there, there's no option. In the Pueblo area, for somebody that wants a, uh, a a decent, affordable, modest house, or or an apartment or a condo. So when I say Denver, I'm talking about the entire state here, folks. You know, and, and that's one thing that a lot of people that run for office, especially the governor, Colorado governor's office, a lot of them. Will not even acknowledge the fact that there is anything outside of Denver. You now, I look at it as the governor of the state is the entire state. There's a the governor for the whole state. So when I say Denver, I'm just saying that for brevity. What I mean is the entire state of Colorado has a housing problem. We we know up in the uh, up in the high country, the ski country that there's uh, there's a couple of groups that are working to put in affordable housing for the people that work at the ski resorts. They work at these resorts, folks, and, and they're sleeping in their cars because all of the housing in, in Vail and Aspen and everything is for the skiers, not the workers, you know, not the cooks. Not, not the housekeepers, not the ski lift operators. The people that run the, the, the resorts, that actually make them work, cannot afford to live there. So there's a couple of groups that I'm familiar with that are working up in the Bale-Eagle area to get more affordable housing. So we're talking about the state. I just say Denver to make it easier to, to move on with the conversation. Anyway, um, what I think is going to happen, you know, we had we had a boom time when we first legalized marijuana, everybody wanted in on it, everybody moved to Denver from out of state. That shot up housing prices, supply and demand. We didn't have the supply, the demand was there, so the housing price went up. Uh, developers saw what was going on and they're building these luxury condominiums. Well, what's happened since we uh, legalized marijuana is that other states are now legalizing marijuana. So that's actually going to take away from us. People who would normally travel to Colorado for the marijuana industry are no longer going to have to because they will be able to get it closer to home or at home and they're on stage. So the big marijuana boom, as far as I'm concerned, it's over. It's going to settle down and the developers that are looking to build now are coming in too late. But what Denver and what Colorado will always have is the average worker you know, Denver is the supply depot for the Rocky Mountain West. We have a lot of distributors, warehouses. We have um, food service companies. You know, we we are a big link in the supply chain. And there's going to have to be people that work in those warehouses and in the uh, in the packaging plants and all that. They can't afford. To live in a luxury condo. It's obvious, you know, people like Cisco Foods or whatever, uh, Chain Supers, they can't afford to pay all of their workers enough money to be able to afford a luxury condo. So we need affordable housing. Uh, What I proposed was to uh, talk to the developers and say, look, this is a solid base of people. They're always going to be in debt. You need to look at developing affordable housing. Forget about the marijuana boom because it's over. The uh, the oil and gas industry, we have people moving to Colorado because of fracking, and now fracking is on the ropes. Uh, there's too many people... In Colorado, they're opposed to it for one reason or another, and I think fracking is on its way out. You know, conventional oil drilling, yes, uh, but I think fracking is on its way out in Colorado. So that boom is going to be over, too. We will still have the supply chain Denver uh, front range. You know, that's always going to be with us, and we need Places for these people to be able to live. Another thing that I had proposed some time ago is when you go and rent an apartment, the first thing you do is you check Craigslist or you check maybe uh, you know the post or whatever. You see the rentals, you contact an apartment uh, apartment manager and you make an appointment to go see the apartment. When you go see the apartments, in order to put in an application for that apartment, you have to pay a rental credit check. This is separate from a regular credit check, folks. This is a rental credit check that tells you your rental history, and the apartment manager is going to charge you for a rental credit check it could be anywhere from 50 to $150 average. If you look at three apartments and you put in an application for three apartments, at $50 each, you just spent $150. And if you get turned down, you don't get a refund. Every time you make an application to move into an apartment, and some condominiums, they're going to run a rental credit check, it's going to cost you, and it's going to keep costing you every time you apply. What I had suggested is that we create a rental credit check certificate. You get, for a one-time fee, you get a rental credit check. That rental credit check Generates a certificate that you take with you to the different apartment complexes. You show them your certificate. They verify it. They don't check your credit. They don't charge you. It. It's like a get out of jail free card. And I thought, I thought maybe a year, but but I've talked to folks and they think six months. Let's say that this that this certificate is good for six months. So in January, you go in and you apply for your rental credit check. You get certified. You have the certificate. It's on file. And then from January to June, you can go and put in applications at apartments, and it's not going to cost you additional dollars. You know, if, if you have... Not a really great credit, uh, not a really great rental history. You're going to have a bad rental credit check. You may, you may apply at four or five different places before somebody accepts you as a tenant. Which means that you just spent a minimum of two hundred to two hundred fifty dollars on this credit check. That's money that you could have used for a deposit to move in. Anyway, that was my suggestion is to make this a reality, a rental credit check certificate that says you're okay for six months. Anyway, uh, what do you think of that? I think that's an incredible idea. I really do. Because I've heard people... That have done that and spent over and over and over every time they went. And I always said that is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. That would be a wonderful solution. And time wise, six months should be good, don't you think? To find a place to live? I do. Yeah, that, that probably would be okay. Uh, you know, we're thinking probably outside uh, outside six months. When, when people get serious about moving and finding a new place to live, they, they basically ship within the next 30 days. Uh, a lot of places, if you move out of a place, uh, then uh, you have to, uh, you know, you have to get a... Uh, Gets notice that you're moving out. Well, oh, anyway, our caller dropped off here. Maybe she'll come back on. Uh, but anyway, okay, there's the caller back again. Okay, you're back on. Hi. I don't know what happened, yeah, but we got right. disconnected. I did uh, Yeah, and, and, you know, let me apologize because I didn't. I uh, I know you're in the Denver but I didn't get your first. Name. Uh, my name is Bernadette. Okay, Bernadette. All right. Yeah, that's all you need to do for the show. Is uh, you know, is your first name on the show. You don't have to give out any more personal information than that. So that's fine. But uh, I, I don't like referring to people as caller. I would rather call them by their name. So. Bernadette, it is. All right. Anyway, welcome back to the show, Bernadette. Thank you. And uh, so far, you're the only caller of the day. Uh, and now, folks, let me remind you that this is – we're doing this show live right now. However, any after the show is ended, you can go to my show page and you can listen – to previous episodes, including this one. It's blogtalkradio.com slash chatmag. C-H-A-T-M-A-G. Blogtalkradio.com slash chatmag. That's my show homepage, and you will be able to listen to any of the, uh, any of the previous episodes, including this Like I said, we're on live right now. And, oh, by the way, if you are listening and you would like to call in and talk, our guest call-in number is area code 646-478-5150. 646-478-5150. Now, Bernadette and, and everybody else, I, when I started my show back in 2007 or so, I had it for an hour. And over the years, it just seemed like an hour wasn't enough time to really get into a conversation. It seemed like we were just getting going, everything was getting good, and then it was my hour was up. So today, I scheduled an hour and a half. And we have uh, approximately forty minutes left, so we have a lot of talk time left here, people. You know, go ahead and call in. Uh, we can talk about housing situation. We can talk about the roads in Colorado, which I'm going to bring up in a few minutes, or we can talk about any other subject. But primarily, we are talking about issues that will be talked about during the 2018 Colorado governor's race. Remember I said that a friend of mine said something about if I talk about the roads, I will change the theme of the election. Well, that's happened because I have put out information about Colorado roads, what I'd like to do as far as the roadways are concerned and as far as congestion is concerned. Um, and I have noticed other people talking about roads in Colorado now after I started it. So I feel good about this. I think, in my own small way, I think I have affected the Colorado governor's race already. And if I get down onto uh, talking about the roads and congestion situation, I'll be the one out there talking about. It. And you know, Bernadette, uh, the roads are are completely tied in with the affordable housing. Everything uh, everything is is together here. when When you talk about having affordable housing, you have to have decent neighborhood, you have to have good schools. You have to have good transportation, whether public or, or street transportation or what have you. You have to have a grocery store nearby. You know, we hear about these things called food deserts. And if you don't know what a food desert is, it and I'm not sure of the exact definition, but it is where your neighborhood does not have a grocery store. There are a lot of neighborhoods in the Denver area that a grocery store is more than a walk or a short drive away. So all of this all of this question about affordable housing has to take into consideration do you have a place that you can buy your groceries nearby? Do you have decent jobs nearby? Uh, you know, Schooling for the kids and training for you. What if uh, if you want to get into a, a higher paying job? Is there training available in your area? So all of these different factors influence affordable housing. Unfortunately, I just learned this week that one of the one of the new businesses it's a it's actually a coding school called Ironport. They opened up schools all around the country and they were teaching people how to write code for the 21st century. You know, somebody wants to go in and, and work at, uh, at a startup company and write code for an app, they have to know how to code. And Ironport opened up schools all over the country and they were teaching people how to code. Well, unfortunately, um, Ironport, I believe, was a little ahead of their time. They overreached, and now they are closing all of their schools. This is a skill that people need to have, folks. If you want to, if, you know, you, you look at the gentrified crowd, the program people that are coming in and getting 100000 $150,000 a year. They have to learn how to code. If you learn how to code, one of those jobs, we need to be able to offer 21st century skills to the neighborhoods where people need that help the most. Ironport was a great idea. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out for them because they tried to do too many things all at once. But this is this is another facet of affordable housing: is when when we say affordable housing, can't we come into a neighborhood and bootstrap people up the economic ladder? You know, there's there's two schools of thought here you're either going to give people money from the money tree or you're going to help people climb the money tree and get their own money. For too many years, this country, the big cities, have been run by Democrats who gave money from the money tree and kept people down. Never improved their lot in life. And you understand me clearly when I'm talking specifically about African-Americans in this country. Keep them poor and voting Democrat. That's what happened. Give them a little bit of... You know, look at it a couple of years ago. The Obama fund. Rather than give a person a decent-paying job and have them go buy their own iPhone or Android... The Obama government gave away Obama funds. What is the incentive to do better in life? That is exactly the way of the Democratic Party. From from your city council all, all the way through to the national government, give them a handout, they'll vote Democrat. Now, I'm not like that, folks. I believe in bringing the opportunity to those neighborhoods. Uh, Ironport had a good idea; it was a, it was a combination of a co-working space and a school, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. But you know, with with my Onco Space company, that was my original idea. Is not only to provide co-working spaces for people in the outlying areas but also to go into the inner cities to the forest neighborhoods and open up a co-working space where a local person with an idea for a business can come in get the help they need start and grow their business give them a hand up them to succeed because what's going to happen in that neighborhood? People are going to start making more money. They're going to start spending more money. It will help the neighborhood businesses, the locally owned people. There will be more money coming in. It will lift everybody. And, and I know there's the old saying, a rising tide lifts all boats. But damn it, you got to put water in it to make the tide come up. You have to help those people. Create, you know, damn it, folks, there are people walking the streets of Detroit right now. Million dollar ideas, and they have no help. Nobody has said, come in here, sit down, tell me what you got, and let's make it happen. Nobody has done that for them. They haven't done it in Detroit. They haven't done it that's one of the things that I propose to do is to create entrepreneurial assistance centers everywhere. Separate from OncoSpace. space. If if by some miracle I get elected governor, then I would turn over onco space to my kids and I would walk away. But I want to see entrepreneurial spaces everywhere give these people some hope and a lot of help and have them build the businesses, create the idea. You know, back in 2010, I had a saying, and it was for for public appearances, you know, giving little talks and all that. And I said, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you all of the great things I'm going to do. I want a government that's out of your wallet and off your back so that you can do those great things. That's the way I think, folks. I don't want to be a great government. I want you to be great people. That's what I want. I want Colorado to be the greatest state in the country. That's what this is all about. And we can't do it by keeping people down. You know, the Democrats talked about the war on poverty years ago. Do you know how many billions of dollars they have spent on the war on poverty? They would have eradicated poverty in this country if they had taken those billions of dollars, divided it up, and gave everybody a check. We wouldn't have poverty. With everything they've spent, all of the the insane little programs giving people phones, you know that's supposed to be a part of the war. Oh, uh, come on. You know you don't give people you, you you don't bring people out of poverty by giving them a phone. You bring them out of poverty by giving them a job and an opportunity to excel on their own. That's how you. That's how you get poverty you end poverty by creating more affordable housing for people because all you're doing all the developers are doing is they are creating housing for upper class people who are making over 100 grand a year and they are creating more for people and what's their answer Uh oh, yeah we know we're doing this we know we're doing wrong but The government has social welfare problems. They can take care of them. Well, damn it, people, as a governor of Colorado, I am the governor. I am the government. And no, the government doesn't have money so that you can get rich. You know, I don't want to be a governor that promotes all of these developers and all these high rises and turns around and says, well, gee whiz, you know what? we got some homeless people we got to take care of. I don't want to be that kind of a governor. I, I get burned out. I, I get worked up over this sometimes, so you'll have to bear with me. You're fine. I'm enjoying listening. <laughs> okay, well, anyway. Um, it's always nice to have a caller on the line because, number one, I'm not sitting here and talking to myself. And number two, I can ask the caller, what do they think? And I could take a couple minutes breather and rest my voice for a few minutes. So Bernadette, what do you think? Well, I think it sounds like a wonderful plan. The giving money out and has not worked. And we all know that. That's called welfare. And it just hasn't worked. There has to be a better way. And giving them the hand up to me... You don't know, start to get pride in yourself... Who knows where you're going to land you can go anywhere yeah that's true and uh, I was I was reminded while you were talking uh, have you ever seen the TV show or heard of it called Shark Tank yes okay the There's a guy on there by the name of Damon John.
1: Are you familiar
4: with him? Are you familiar with him? Yes. If you ever get a chance, if you don't know the story, uh, Bernadette, don't know the story, if nothing else, look up Damon John in Wikipedia and, and read his Wikipedia entry. This guy started out as a street hustler, And I think he was selling t-shirts or something in New York. He was one of... It was either in New York or New Jersey. It might have been like New York or Camden or something. But he was one of the thousands of people you see on the streets. They got something to sell. You know, out west... um, Miami or Southern California, it's bags of oranges. Standing out on a street corner trying to sell you a bag of oranges. New York, especially New York, Chicago, Detroit, you got people that are hustling everything on the street. Damon John started as a street hustler. And his business grew and grew and grew. And at some point he said, you know what? I gotta get serious about this. These people are putting me into business, so I better be a businessman. He grew his business literally from the street corner. Not everybody can do that, folks. There's a lot of people with an idea or a product or a service. Nobody walking down that street, that sidewalk and coming up to them and saying, "Kid, I like your idea. Come with me." Let me see what we can do for you. And help them get served. Somebody's doing that. I had no idea that was his story. Yeah, read about it in Wikipedia. I will. Definitely a self-made millionaire. But, you know, when you say self-made, his customers made him a billionaire because they just kept coming and coming and he grew. He grew his business literally from the street corner. It's possible. It can be done. Anyway, uh, let me see what how much time we got left here. We've got about 20 minutes left. Um, I said that I was going to play Motor City's firing, uh at the end of the show, after the end of the show. But anyway, let's, let's go ahead and start wrapping up here. One of the things that I see, and unfortunately, we didn't get to talk about roads, but yeah, Colorado roads were atrocious, and there's a good way to put a lot of people to work. Fixing them once and for all. You know, doing them the right way instead of patch and repair, fixing the right way and And that brings me to the affordable housing because Colorado is is a service and distribution center. That's what we do folks. We've had uh, we've had the cattle industry. you know we still have some cattle. It's not really as great as it used to be. Companies like Montfort and everybody are gone. We have agriculture. We have livestock. We have distribution centers. We have banking centers. You know, we're, we're the home port for a lot of the Rocky Mountain West. We're a service and distribution-oriented state. If you discount, if you take out the skiing and tourism, But even so, skiing and tourism needs a lot of just regular people out there working in the resorts, working in the national forests and everything else to support these people. We're the support system, and we're always going to be like that. And let's face it, let's get realistic here. You're not going to become a millionaire working for a company that's doing food distribution or whatever. You know, I know I'm in food distribution myself. I know what them guys, you know, when you see a McLean truck or U.S. Foods or Cisco or whatever, delivering to a restaurant, that that route driver is probably doing somewhere around fifty to 70000 a year. There's a lot of trucking that happens in Colorado because of the fact that we're a distribution center. And we make on the average about fifty grand a year. That's it. We're not going to be millionaires driving a truck, but we need a lot of truck drivers. And those drivers need places for their families. That's why we need affordable housing. the whole you know the whole foundation of Colorado's economy is being pushed out and out. Into into the streets, literally, by people who want to come in and make 150, 200, 250 thousand a year. Not all of us can do that for housing in Colorado, the the entire state, folks. Uh, like I said, part of you know, part of creating a better Colorado is repairing the roads once and for all, and let's get into that on another, uh, another show. But, yes, uh, Colorado's highway fund has been uh, basically absconded by every crazy thing you could think of. And there's no money left to fix the roads. When you buy a gallon of gas, pay for the roads. That money should be earmarked and dedicated to fixing our roads and highways. Not... Building a bicycle path in Boulder or whatever, you pay for it as a taxpayer. You pay the you pay the tax at the pump. You should get a return on your investment. So that's one of the things I'm going to be looking at in the future, is to dedicate all highway-related funds to the highways, to the roads. We're not going to use it as a piggy bank for some other project. It has nothing to do with Colorado's road. It'll be dedicated to the roads. That's about it here, folks. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, we will try and do this every Sunday at 4 o'clock Mountain Time. I'm going to make it an hour and a half every time. It's going to be difficult, but let's do that. Anyway, uh, Bernadette, thank you for calling in today. And if you have any questions, uh, Any closing words? Go right ahead. Well, I don't think I have any closing words. Um, You know, I really like the ideas that you've thought about and put out today. A whole lot. And, uh, you know, looking out after Colorado... It is a governor's job, so (laughs) I think you're doing a wonderful job so far thinking of solutions to the problems. Because it's up to us to live here in Colorado to make sure that it's okay and make sure that our state becomes wonderful. I agree with that 100%. So, good luck to you. I will listen again. Thank you for having me. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I I looked at it realistically and I said, well, there's no way that people in Colorado are going to elect me governor. So, I don't have to tell people what I think they want to hear. I tell people what I want them to hear. Really, I'm just that kind of person in real life, too. This is not very much different than who I am regularly, but I, I try and, and do a little more kind of a radio voice type thing. But other than that, my thoughts and the expression that I offer on this show is who I am. Um uh, I did say to one of the folks in Denver that was that's interested in the DIY movement, I said, I need to spend some more time down in Rhino, in River North. And that's on my agenda. I want to take it through there, and that's not the same thing as getting out and talking to people. So that's what I want to do, folks. And if you want me to visit your neighborhood, uh, you can always tweet me on Twitter and say, Hey, Pete. You know, come on down to this neighborhood or that neighborhood or whatever. That's Car for Governor CEO. The real name is Peter J. Carr. Everybody calls me Pete. Some people call me other things as well, but we won't get into that now. Anyway, folks, uh, Bernadette, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. We had uh, quite a number of good things to, to talk about, think about. Every time I listen to another person, no matter who it is, I always learn something. And I'll take that on and I'll file it away sometime in some place in my, in my little metal file folder. And I'll say, you know what? I'll be thinking about something. I'll say, well, gee, um, when I was on my show, Bernadette mentioned that. I give other people credit for their ideas, too, folks. You know, I, I tell people, just because I know everything, just because I'm a know-it-all doesn't mean I know everything. And I don't. I don't know everything. I learn. We all learn. The person that tells you that they have all of the answers is the person you need to walk away from, because that's bullshit, and you know it. I don't have all of the answers, but I'm learning. And and it has been a great experience. Uh, the last time running for governor of Colorado. This time, we'll see what we can do. Maybe I'll go ahead and get registered this week as an unaffiliated candidate. And uh, that will put me officially up there to where signatures, get my name on the ballot. And who knows? Maybe the people in the state of Colorado will elect me governor next November. You never know. You know, it's kind of like the lottery, folks. You can't win if you don't play. If you don't enter, you can't win. So that's what we're going to do. Anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, sorry for the for the big delay. If, uh, being off the air for so long. Let's uh, let's do this again real soon. Anyway, I am going to play my closing theme, and then after that, on here, and we are going to listen to the MC5, Motor City's Burning, in remembrance of the 50th anniversary of the Detroit riots. So, folks, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and I will see you here next Sunday on Doc Radio.
0: Again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. He's smiling through
3: just like.
0: Far away So will you please say hello To the folks that I know Tell them I won't be long They'll be happy to know That as you saw me go
4: Two, and um, I always like to use that as my closing theme song because, yes, we will meet again some sunny day. Anyway, in, uh, in remembrance of uh, Detroit, the Detroit Riot of 67, I played the MC5 Detroit band, and uh, they had a song called Motor City Playing. I'm telling you now, folks, this is a hard Detroit rock and roll song. It is completely different than we'll meet again. So, if you're not into hardcore Detroit rock and roll, I suggest you hang up or tune out now. Otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, the MC5. White River prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.